Hello and welcome to Fans, the podcast hosted by me, Sachin Nikrani, in which I speak to people I like, find interesting or both about being football fans. And joining me for this episode to talk Reading FC is writer and comedian, and I'm delighted to say he's in person, it's Anthony Richardson. I'm right here next to you. He's right I'm here right next here. to me. He is a literally next to you. I, I, I've heard before, you, you know, people have asked you which they fall into, whether you like them, you respect them. You can't like me, but I know you respect me, so I'm pleased with that. Yeah. Thank you very much. I respect you. I find yeah. you interesting. Yeah, but there's I, no likeness. Yeah. No, well, I, I, I absolutely detested you before I met you about <laughs> 10 minutes ago. And uh, in, the, in the 10 minutes I've had, I've, yeah, I've grown I'm, a fondness for all you. All right in person, actually. <laughs> I'll I tell you what, yeah. once, um, uh, I, uh, when I started off, I, I, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm a comedian, but like it's it hurts to say that because then people furrow their brow and they're like, I haven't actually seen you. <laughs> so so I actually tell strangers that I'm a writer. I used to tell people I'm a teacher. I've never been a teacher. <laughs> anyway, um, I did a yeah. So I started off doing internet comedy when I was like about 15 years ago. One of the first things I did was a, a was a uh, funeral for Sky Sports News, a poem which uh, did really well on Twitter and YouTube. Anyway, uh, I was looking through. I, I don't know if you've ever looked through the comments for your name, searched yourself. I've done it way too often. Done it very often yeah. in my career. And it was one of the first things that ever, ever went viral. So I was on Facebook looking and looking at everything, all the comments coming through, people sharing it. And one person shared it and said, this is absolutely brilliant. And then the comment underneath was someone who said, I went to, this per- I went to university with this person. They were a knob. <laughs> I was like, oh. God, Do you know who that person crushed. was? No, I wasn't a knob at university. Which I university? Av- I was all right. Okay. I was all right. Went to Manchester. I was all right. Yeah. Just, I, was, I kept my head down. You've got to upset somebody. Oh. Rack your brains. Who was it? Just some dickhead, probably. Oh. I, I ran a comedy club. Probably, I probably compared him and picked, his, picked him out from the front row. Yeah. Anyway. So, yes. Yeah, Might so, have been that bitter, though, still. When was this? When, when did this This happen? was like in 2008 or nine. And you graduated? 2008. <laughs> Oh, right. So it's, That's it was fresh enough. in the memory. Yeah, it was, it was quite sort of... <laughs> fresh in the memory. Yeah. yeah, very fresh, very warm bitterness. He's probably over it now, he or she. Yeah, um, I think the same guy called me a shit Tim Key in that in oh, the comments blimey. on that video. You know I'm not what? bitter myself. I'll take a shit not Tim bitter. Key. Yeah, Tim Key is excellent. So if you're shit Tim Key, you're still exactly. quite decent. Yeah, Exactly. People don't realise that in comedy, you've got to manage your expectations. <laughs> I am 7 out of 10. Seven out of ten, and I'm happy with that. You take that. You're the Dennis Irwin. As long Irwin. as I don't have to have a real job. Yeah, you're the Dennis Irwin of comedy. Exactly There's nothing right. wrong with that. Exactly. Um, yeah, we are in person, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, this is, I think I sent to you before, this is the fourth, ep- uh, you're episode number 30 of this podcast. It's only the fourth time I've done it in person. Absolutely appreciate everyone who's done it via Zoom. It's always, you know, appreciate their time. And it's great. Good, it's not, not as, as good. It's just more fun. There's isn't no it, chemistry there. Yeah. There's no chemistry over a camera, uh, over a, yeah, over a camera, uh, I should say a laptop camera. Uh, no, in all seriousness, this is everyone who's done the episode via Zoom. I appreciate your time and I appreciate why often we've done it because of COVID, obviously, mm. but it is lovely to do it in person. Now Sat- that COVID's over. Now that COVID, COVID finished a few weeks ago, so we were able to meet in person, yeah. Uh, we are meeting a slightly unglamorous uh, place. When I've done episodes in person before, all the, the other three I've done with Kevin Sampson, Chris Skull and Elliot Steele, they've all been in really lovely pubs and we've had a pint. Yeah, and plush with surroundings. Yeah, we are sat in a, in a nondescript office at Guardian Towers. Um, you're, you're, coming, you're coming into London anyway, so it was convenient, but we, didn't, was, yeah. we didn't know where to meet. I've got a day off, so I, I was like, come to the office, I, I don't mind coming in, 
Um, we were going to sit in, our, in the Guardian's canteen, which is actually quite a nice space. But yeah. when I arrived here about an hour ago, it was absolutely rammed. It's basically like the old days. It's like pre-2020 in this place now, which hasn't been for a while for obvious reasons. So I couldn't find the space there. So we've come into a nondescript office. I won't say exactly uh, which office which office it is, just in case I get in trouble. But it's an office at the Guardian. Um, yes, yeah, so apologies slightly. It's not the most glamorous of locations. You okay? With, you've actually been here before. You I, said, I've worked yeah, at the Guardian you know this place very well, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm used to getting a visitor's pass and um, and not being able to get through to the toilets. So <laughs> I often wet myself out the desk. It's nice, you know. That's it's the nice title of this podcast. Sorted. Yeah. <laughs> I often wet myself out my desk. I do often wet myself at my desk, and um, you know, it's a lovely place. Yeah, I've done a lot of work for the Guardian. F- funny videos once again. Don't look at the comments. Don't look at the comments. Don't look yeah. at the comments. It's yeah. just, I hate being called a so-called comedian as well. <laughs> or don't give up your day job. This is my day job. <laughs> if I gave up the day job, I'd starve. Yeah. God. No, don't give up. No, don't give up your day job because the one of the reasons I've got you on, we're going to talk about Reading, which yeah. how can I be often when I when I do this, I say it's an interesting club, it's had an interesting history. As we were just saying before we started recording, Reading sort of hasn't had an interesting history, but in a way that makes it interesting. It's the most, it's one of the oldest yeah. and most nondescript football clubs and towns yeah. in the UK. Yeah, which like, in a way least, makes it interesting, I think. Yeah, like in, at least Milton Keynes has loads of roundabouts. Yeah. That's fun. That's really fun. <laughs> like, oh, roundabouts are fun. Absolutely fuck all. Reading took all of its history, of, it, of which it had a lot, like the prison where, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Oscar Wilde went. Huntley and Palmer's biscuit, um, all of that, Courage Brewery, all of that, and just scrapped it all for some like blue chip company headquarters yeah. on the M4, and like even e- even the stadium, we were sick of. Well, we weren't, but the club were just sick of being associated with Reading and just slapped it on the M4. Yeah, and just like we're like, does London Irish want to come and play here as well? Yeah, because the team shit. Yeah, so it's been a it's been a it's been a pretty average. It's been very beige. As a Reading supporter, I'm very jealous of a lot of other clubs, even clubs like I don't know, even clubs that don't have any history, uh, not sorry, not any success like um, Bristol Rovers. They sound good, don't they? They've got a pirate. <laughs> they they sound cool. Yeah, that sounds cool, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Reading FC, like we're in an identical stadium next to a Pizza Hut. Yeah, on the M4. You have got very good. You have got a very good park and ride scheme. Got a great park yeah. and ride scheme. Let's talk about so the come positives. On. So come on, don't don't knock it completely. I won't knock it completely. Uh, we've had some good times. I, I think there's two genuine moments of pride as a Reading fan when we fought off a merger with Oxford United, orchestrated by Robert Maxwell. That was before my time, though, so I can't even take credit for that. And when we when we got the record points haul yeah. in the championship with 106 points. Um, and then I, I guess another source of pride is being quite good in the Premier League for a season. Yeah, you're That's very good. That's more than most yeah. people have got. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. take that, MK Dons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fuck you, MK Dons. Well, we'll come on to all of that. Uh, well, the 106 points in the Premier League mm. season a bit, because I must admit, as I, again, as I was saying to you before we started recording, I sort of knew about the Robert Maxwell thing, but also forgot it as well. Yeah. So I've done no research That's on it. That's reading through and through. That is reading through. You just through. forget everything associated An with it. An easily forgettable football club. But your football club, so we will talk about them. Before we do that, let's talk about the thing that I know you best for, and perhaps you're probably best known for as well, which is um, the Exploding Heads, which is the internet-based comedy duo that you're part of with Mark Davison. Mm. You've been going since 2012, so happy 10th anniversary. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah when is it exactly? Uh, I don't know. I think one of the first things we did was for the Olympics, actually. For, okay. um, so it might have been around July. We met at the BBC doing, sort of doing like this two-day sort of comedy sketch thing for the BBC, 
Um, and then we, yeah, we sort of bonded over that. Again, the stuff I did was like, I'm glad no one ever saw it kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think we did an Olympics video and that actually got into like the Guardian's top 100 videos of the year in oh, 2012. Right. So Excellent. it's all been like massively downhill from there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you really are hard on yourself, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. No, it's been good. It's been good. It's been, it's been good. Yeah, we... Um, yeah, we, we do a lot of uh, yeah football stuff. We work for ESPN and The Guardian and loads of different places and yeah, had some successes along the way. And now we do a lot of political stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Now that, you know, you've got to take advantage of the fact that the country's in absolute turmoil. Yeah, well, I was going to say, probably the thing you're now best known for, maybe, I don't know if it's the thing that was a breakout moment. I think it certainly gave you guys cut through, it felt, was Colin, or has been Colin. Colin from Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah. Colin from Portsmouth. I mean... It just feels like a, uh, well, it's a very perfect and very funny reaction to kind of the post-Brexit mm. madness and nonsense that's um, infected British society. Do you want to sort of talk about where Colin came from, what it is as well for people who don't know? And and yeah, is it something, you, it sounds like you're saying it's moving into politics that really does feel like it's kind of yeah. blown you guys up a little bit. Well, yeah, but, well, basically we worked for, Z- for ESPN doing funny football stuff for about eight years maybe seven years and then the pandemic hit and they had to cut everyone which was obviously fair enough so during the pandemic there was no football we were stuck at home no furlough or anything like that (laughs) didn't have anything and uh, we were like well let's you know let's try and try and do videos about other things you know try and do some comedy about other things so it was just working remotely me and my green screen as a as a radio host talking to mark who was recording from a long way away um, as Colin from Portsmouth, just, yeah, topical sort of phone-in sketches about whatever was happening. Um, and it was literally a reaction to not having any work, mm. not having, like, any reason to get up, <laughs> apart from, like, professionally, apart from, you know, what's in the news, let's try and take the piss out of that in a way that literally you can film in your own bedroom. Yeah. Crazy. I think that's what a lot of comedians did in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I've got the sense that, yeah, a lot, um, a lot became very creative. And it feels like there's a lot more sort of internet-based comedians have emerged through the pandemic. Yeah. One guy I'm a massive fan of is Josh Pugh. I think yeah. his name oh, is. Who's, great, who's, great. Who's really good. He's a phenomenal sketch about... Uh, great hair. Great, phenomenal hair. I'm very jealous of him as a man who's losing his hair rapidly. But um, of... Uh, uh, you couldn't organise a piss-up in a brewery. And yeah. he dissected that, uh, deconstructed that, I should say, in a, in a little sketch recently, which was absolutely great. But, you know, Colin is, yeah, as I said, giving you a bit of a, giving you sort of cut through. He's marked, sort of, Mark is Colin. You're obviously a radio host mm. uh, listening to what he says. He's a kind of classic, yeah, sort of uh, leave-voting, reactionary, uh, PC Brigade gone mad. Yeah, yeah. Can't, you can't say anything anymore. Everything's been cancelled. With any... a little bit more nuance in terms of, you know, subtly subverting that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's certainly taking the piss out of that sort of subset of society. Colin from Portsmouth, you are on the line. You're delighted with our departure from the EU, but you want more. Yes, mate. I'm absolutely flabbergasted by the lack of ambition this government's showing, Mm. right? We won against Germany in two wars. That's a given. Mm. We then beat the EU in another war. If we want to dominate, we cannot rest on our laurels. We should go again and beat China. Sorry, we should declare war on China. Is that the yeah. next step here? Is, is that not a little bit far-fetched, Colin? Well, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should steam straight in on the world's biggest economy. What I'm saying is let's build up to it, yeah? Let's invade a couple of nations in the region first. I'm talking your Philippines, your Vietnams. Maybe we have a bash in Thailand. I'm sure, right, we could go away to Japan and get a result. 
And then, once we've done that, then we have a go at the Chinese. We've got to test ourselves against the best. We've got we didn't to. beat the EU in a war, though, did we, Colin? Well, no, shut up, mate. That's exactly what the Remainers are saying. I mean, what would Queen Victoria say if she heard that kind of tribe? She'd be turning in her grave. Well, she was nearly spherical, wasn't she? Look, c- can you not believe a little bit more is that somehow illegal now? I mean, we... We beat a third of the world when we went on tour last time. As Stephen Gerald said, we've got to go again. We've Did he got not to... slip on his ass straight right. after saying that? Listen to me, mate. China's a big country, but they uh-huh. use chopsticks to eat with. I mean, I'm sorry, mate, but if we can't win against a nation that don't even know what knives and forks are, we might as well stay at home and beat ourselves up. I was looking back saying, when did I when when did I become really aware of you guys? And I think it was when you did the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody with footballers yeah. sketch, which is yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. sensational. I watched it back again a couple of days ago. Oh, nice! Um, That's an extra view. Yeah, yeah. I think I watched <laughs> it twice. So, Do you know you, who you're welcome. Who like made that go viral? Yeah. Henry Winter. Really? <laughs> what in a good way? Was he? Was he sort of? <laughs> he retweeted it with two. Crying with laughter emotions. Oh, that's okay. You that's know, good. You're set then. Henry yeah. Winter, mate. He's, he's got his own billboard in Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would have thought Henry might look down or something like that because he takes football incredibly seriously. Well, you know that. But that I'm glad he enjoyed hits, it. It hits the sort of dad rock and footballers' names. I guess. Yeah. Sweet spot for Henry. Yeah. I should um, say it's absolutely amazing. So it is Bohemian Rhapsody. You and Mark sort of singing it, and every—is it every, literally every lyric is a footballer's yeah, do you know name what the or a footballer's Do you know club? what? Like the, the awful thing about that video is we did it, we put it out there, and we realised it had already been done. Oh, shit, really? <laughs> yeah. By who? Danny Baker. Oh, no. And Danny Baker's, like, five live show. Oh, so but... we didn't... This is the this is the thing I'll never make the mistake again. We didn't Google it before. Yeah. Someone came up with the idea, and we wrote the lyrics, and it wasn't actually our voices on it. It was um, a musician we know called Gareth Withers. Oh, He's okay. Like, did both of our... Because I can't sing for absolute shit. Oh, okay. So I'm really sorry to to burst that particular bubble. I have to let Henry know, you know that. Yeah. It might well, take away those two crying face I'll of ages. I'll DM Henry. <laughs> um, but yeah, like literally, we got 90% people saying this is brilliant. 10% of people like, you've you've ripped this off Danny Baker. Oh no. And I was like, oh, like, I mean, you, you take that very seriously if you're a comic because yeah. you don't want to be accused of plagiarism. Yeah, yeah. And literally, I googled it, and it was, um, it was, yeah, it was, it, it was a YouTube video from, taken from a live air recording and it had like about 90,000 views, which, you know, is not, not little kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we just completely forgot to do our due diligence, oh, but it's still good. But anyway, like every time someone says, yeah, I enjoyed that video. I'm like, oh, I can't really, I can't really enjoy that anymore. I've Was there any blowback from Danny Baker himself? Did he get himself? He, he wrote, he wrote, he, he uh, replied saying, Nice one, lads. But uh, yeah, this has been done. I was like, yeah, sorry, Danny. Uh, <laughs> I loved your own goals and gas videos. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, whatever, mate. It happens. It must happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can't have all uh, brilliant original ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, yeah. I, got, I think my favourite bit again, watching it again recently, was the Clough Quinn Whelan yeah. Platters. Clough Queen Whedon Blatter's yeah, bit at the end yeah, is yeah, absolutely yeah. genius. Who, who, so did you guys write that together or did um, one lead on it? In yeah, a the, the guy, a guy we work with came up with it and um, yeah, it was quite an intense writing session. I can imagine. And yeah. then um, uh, Gareth Withers, who, who's a Cov fan, he's a Coventry City fan and he's made a song for every single game this season. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> it's quite an undertaking. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Oh, 46 or whatever. Jesus. I don't know if he's done the League Cup. And I was going to say, yeah. Um, he's anyway. done the Papa John's Trophy. Yeah, yeah well. exactly. Okay, that would really be an undertaking. Uh, he, um, yeah, so anyway, he did. The, he's a music teacher and a sort of like a musician as well in his own right. And uh, yeah, he, he put it together 
We Mind filmed with a director we work with quite a lot called Chris Vince. And um, yeah, we were really proud of it until until we realized. Until Bakergate. <laughs> yeah, until, until Bakergate. Until exactly. Bakergate. Never mind. Yeah. There, there's, there's enough room in this world for two brilliant uh, absolutely. spoofs of Bohemian Rhapsody based absolutely. on football. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Let them both coexist in peace. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you and Mark also host uh, your own podcast, Football Land, which yeah. you were very kind enough to invite me on to. Uh, was it last year? I can't it remember. Was a, yeah, it was height of the pandemic. It was definitely height of the pandemic. I think it was just yeah. before Christmas 2020. I remember the Christmas tree being out when I recorded with you. Just have that weird yeah. kind of memory. Um it's suitably bonkers. Do you want yeah. to explain what it is? Yeah, so we've we accidentally well I was accidentally given a billion dollars by <laughs> the state of Qatar. As you do. Uh, to build a football theme theme park in Qatar called Football Land. Uh in the desert in Qatar, in time for the, the World Cup. So we've um yeah, we've spent a couple of years uh developing the rides. I, I have to admit we haven't started building yet. <laughs> You're running out of time. <laughs> um, I can't give back the money because uh, I bought Mark a pen and a laptop. So, like, you can't give back a billion dollars minus. And I didn't put it into an interest uh, savings account. I just put it into mistake. a savings. Yeah. That's the so, worst thing you've done since ripping off Danny Baker. I know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but the Qataris are going to be dead pleased to have this. So, yeah, it's called Football Land. We've got about 250 to 300 rides now. I've Googled um, Disneyland. <laughs> Uh, you don't have as many rights. I'm surprised. <laughs> surprised they're that lazy. So yeah, I think we're going to be in good stead. So any any uh, yeah, there's loads of football rides. We've got Steve Mechanical Bull, which is Steve Bull, <laughs> but you ride him and try and stay on for as long as you can. Um, and then if you fall off, you get a signed photo of Jolien Lescott, which is really <laughs> nice as a prize. It's great. Um, <laughs> God. <laughs> Lots of rides like that. So yeah, yeah. So you came on and pitched um, one ba- uh, Crash Bang Benjamin Massing, yeah, which Crash was a gauntlet ride, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Based on uh, one of my all-time favourite. Yeah, Benjamin Massing tackle on Claudia Kanisha. And that's a great, that's a you know, and, and, and I can't wait to build it. Yeah. I I, I'm not saying we're like slacking because like, the trouble is we meet every week and then we're about to start building. I've even bought a hard hat off eBay. Oh my God. And then Mark's like, oh, I've got a couple of ride ideas. And then we, we chat about that and then we put it off. But I, but by it's like 220 days till the World Cup. Yeah, I mean you'll be fine. I think so because it's a ride a day. North basically. Korea, they build quickly. Yeah, I mean if you get going now, you've got to build a ride a day. Which yeah, I mean I'm no construction expert, but that sounds absolutely feasible. The more pe- a billion dollars, come on, it's, come on, it's so that's piece so piece, yeah, and a lot of it's sponsored. Yeah, like we can, it's football land. Imagine the sign. That's two O's, which could be footballs, Nike yeah. and Adidas. Footballs. Absolutely, yeah. So that's like, that's literally yeah. worth the the, the entrance yeah. price alone. Yeah. yeah, and let's not forget human rights are massively overrated as well. Yeah, human uh, rights are overrated. I, if we can not kill anyone building this theme park, <laughs> that would be a bonus. So that would be a bonus. That would be great. Um, but yeah, no, it is cutting it fine. I admit. Yeah. Um, but but when the World Cup happens, I think we might have to transport it to America. For the for the next one, yeah, yeah, you could, just, yeah, just lift it because they're all none of them are specific about. Well, I don't know. I, I'm uh, for my sins. I'm listening to every episode. But no, none of them fine. to be. No, I haven't even. Listened not to all of them episode. seem Qatar specific. It feels like you just lift it and, and move it across. Yeah, well, we've got a, we've got um, we've got a zone, much like every theme park has your own different zones. We've got it based on like we've got a Concacaf zone. Oh, okay. We've got a UEFA zone. We've got um, a, a, a AFC zone for Asia and Australia. Or are they now part of Oceania again? I think, Hard I to know. tell with Australia. Yeah, yeah. It's been like the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, they don't yeah. seem to know what they are. No. Um, South America, comma, blah, blah, blah. And uh, <laughs> I think that's it. 
think that was everything. So yeah, so so basically, it's it doesn't really invoke Qatar as well, just like the real yeah. World Cup won't. Like, how much of Qatar will you actually see at this World Cup? Very apart yeah. from the fact that everyone's got to stay in a boat to drink yeah. off the shore, and it's going to be hot. And gay people aren't allowed. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Just don't be gay, guys, for a week. That's literally... Is that going to kill you? That's what literally that bloke said when the draw was made a month ago. He essentially, in the most polite way, said, look, just don't be gay. Just don't be gay for like (laughs) three weeks. Come on, guys. Come on, lads. Anyway, yeah. I can't wait It's terrible. Uh, just for the avoidance of doubt, it's terrible. Yeah, it's absolutely poor. We'll all watch it, but it is. <laughs> we'll, I think we've, I'll probably be vomiting after every uh, game. Yeah, I mean, I'm ho- obviously hoping to work for someone like uh, during the tournament. Maybe not go out there, but you know, we all need to pay our mortgages. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'll have to hold my nose for three weeks. Yeah. And Henry Winter will be there. That's amazing. Mm. He will absolutely. I'm be gonna. There. D- I'm literally gonna DM him everything. <laughs> see if he retweets it. I've seen him on Twitter recently. Have you? I don't follow no. him. I don't follow him. Um, I mean, he, I've, I've, in my job, obviously, I've met Henry a few times. He's a nice bloke. Very but he's, nice. I've never met him. He's also, um, he's a bit, yeah, he's, he's out there. Let's, uh, all I say is I think he likes football a little bit too much. I mean, we all love football, but I think Henry loves football a little bit too wow. much. I think you can love football too much, and I think Henry does, but he's a nice bloke. He's a nice bloke. Right, we've been waffling for absolute ages. Let's talk about the, the main reason we're here, Reading Football Club. Uh, obvious first question, why is Anthony Richardson a Reading fan? I was thinking this, and and basically, you fall into two... Can I firstly say that nobody from outside Reading, born outside Reading, has ever supported Reading Football Club? No. I think the ratio of people (coughs) in the... Reading fans who are born in the Royal Barks Hospital must be 99.9%. That's the only... That's the main (laughs) hospital in Reading. And I'd be very surprised if... So basically, when you're at primary school in Reading, you... Or Winnish, where I'm from. Uh, you either support... Can I just say, when you said Winnish, I did immediately picture David Brent. You I probably know, get that I all know. the time, don't uh, you? Yeah, that's, but that's good. That's like, at least we've provided something, yeah. right? We've provided something. Um, yeah, you either support... Uh, well, back in the mid-90s when I was at primary school, you support Man United, Liverpool or Reading. And in a primary school class of 25 people, I'd say three or four supported Reading. Honestly, it's like... I've never met anyone from uh, outside Reading who has supported Reading. Mm. Like that, that must be a first for most, you know, in football history for for clubs. Yeah. Because even like Bristol Rovers, you'd be like, "Well, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna support Bristol Rovers. They sound cool. They got a pirate. Yeah, they've got a pirate." Um, I feel sorry. Well, I don't feel sorry for all of those Man United fans who supported <laughs> Man United from Reading when they were 10 and now they're living terribly boring lives <laughs> mediocre football club like it's their fault for being glory supporters yeah, yeah that was it so yeah I supported uh, when I, well I didn't know any better I tell you that when I was 7 I got a copy of the Guinness Book of World Records for Christmas 1992 and I opened the sports page because I loved football but I wasn't from a football family my dad liked cricket and he sort of liked football. He watched like much of the day, but he didn't. We weren't a football going family. Um, and uh, I just opened it up and there was a picture of Gary Lineker celebrating after scoring in in the FA Cup final in 1991 against Nottingham Forest. Yeah, Tottenham against and Forest, I think yeah. that, And I think the excuse for having that picture was basically Spurs had just set the record for most FA Cup wins at the time. So I supported Tottenham just because of that picture. Oh, okay. So I supported Tottenham for two years until... I went with a friend to watch Reading at, um, at Elm Park and then I was kind of converted from then. 
but like literally in Reading at the time, there wasn't social media. Mm. It was every every report about Reading was on Meridian Tonight <clears throat> for like three three minutes at the end of a broadcast. There was no football coverage of Reading. When you're a kid without a football family, sometimes yeah. you just have to open a Guinness Book of World Records yeah. and get lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, so that so I supported Reading after going to watch them because I was like, oh, I'm a Reading fan now. That's it. But it w- certainly wasn't out of like duty to my parents or anything like that or like you know I really want to support this club it was like by osmosis basically yeah yeah well I should say for anyone who doesn't know and especially our listeners in Qatar who, who oh, yeah. you know, I'm sure have all tuned or, in and board holder board yeah members, absolutely yeah. yeah indeed and Henry Winter he's <laughs> I mean, Henry will know this Henry bit. will DM oh, he'll retweet this yeah he'll know this bit I'm about to say anyway. but for, for our overseas listeners especially in Qatar let me sort of so people who don't know about Reading so um, and I've ripped all this off from Wikipedia, but sure. it's a market town in the Royal County of Berkshire, hence yeah. uh, Reading being known as the Royals. Population of approximately 160,000 people. It's located 40 miles east of Swindon, 25 uh, miles south of Oxford. I love Swindon's a marker there. Yeah, yeah, wow. I love Swindon. Our I big rivals. Again, a David Brent reference. Yeah, for sure. uh, and 40 miles uh, west of London. Um, and yeah, I mean, my knowledge of Reading is sort of two things. Is I've been there a few times for work to cover games at the Majeski Stadium. Yeah. My wife, Select car leasing stadium. Yeah, and my wife, and it's got a great park and ride scheme. So I, I will stand up for the park and ride scheme yeah. that you can get from the station to the stadium really easily uh, on a very nice little bus, which is put on for you. Yeah. Uh, and also, my wife went to Reading University. Apart from that, I know absolutely nothing about Reading. And as you say, it's one of those kind of areas. It's a bit nondescript. It's a bit of a sort of, as I said, I've sort of talked about location. It's in between other places, which are probably a bit more notable. Yeah, and therefore. Nobody from outside Reading is going to support Reading because the, the area itself is especially interesting. The football team hasn't had a lot of success. And as you sort of touched on, if you live in Reading, you're then more likely to support the Man United and Liverpool. So, yeah, it's quite, it's, yeah, it's quite something for you, given you were at school, when you were in the 90s, when sort of Man United were massively successful, for you to support Reading. Yeah. Um, you support, obviously, you said Spurs for sort of two years. Um, yeah, when I was seven till nine, I really yeah. liked um, Lineker, but he'd, I think he'd left by then. I think he'd gone to Japan. So yeah, I mean, yeah, done, not yeah. even the man in the picture, I, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think I liked Teddy Sheringham, but he might have been at Portsmouth still or not in Forest then. I can't remember. I remember sort of like 1994, liking Reading, uh, liking Spurs, and uh, I had the Panini sticker book and just like looked at players like Justin Edinburgh, uh, Gary Mabbott. Vinny uh, Samways. Vinny Samways. Yeah. I'm thinking, yes, these are my boys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I went to, in fact, actually, I went to um, watch Reading Train. Again, word of mouth. I don't know how anything happened before social media, but, ba- but I found myself at, at Cantley Park, which is in Wokingham, where Reading were training. I don't think they even used that as their training base, but they were there. And I got a signed fo- uh, a signed shirt that I had, which was a Tottenham shirt, signed by the Reading team. Bloody hell. Like, they were fine just signing a Spurs shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember any puzzled strike? I think Relox? I met Shaka Hislop uh, there. The great Shaka Hislop. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think it was then. It might have been ahead of... Because we played... Um, or we. They at the time, for me. They played um, Man United at home in the FA Cup, I think, in 1994. And the whole town... That was, the, that was one of the first times I actually realised Reading were... A club, really, um, and the whole town went absolutely bananas over it. Like it was, it was just incredible. You know, like people queuing like down the road to get mm. tickets and stuff like that. And sh- I, I'm pretty sure Shaka Hislop was, uh, yeah, we did, they did an open training session before. All very weird. Anyway, met a few of the players. Couldn't name any of them. Like just like when you're a kid, you just yeah. don't know anything apart from the Premier League. Yeah. Um, 
It must be weird nowadays for kids, like 9, 10, they live in a place like, um, yeah, again, let's say Bristol. And they go into, like, the Bristol Rovers training ground. And they don't know any of the players because they don't get that exposure, mm. do they? Even now. Apart from, you know, obviously more now than they did before. But these kids will maybe, if they're football fans and they want to support a club, you know, in their own town, they'll grow up to be Bristol Rovers fans. But they don't know at the time. They've just got mm. all of these players. They haven't got a clue. They're probably supporting, you know, I don't blame yeah. people for supporting Man United, really, actually. Yeah. Do you think it's more common now to have kids from places like Bristol, Swindon, Reading, Oxford, whatever, being supporters of big clubs than it was when you grew up? Because in a way, I mean, as I said, you are a rarity in the sense that you supported, you were Reading support from Reading and there was no, there was literally no Reading obviously on the TV. There's no social media. Yeah. So it would have been so easy to support Manchester United because they were on match a day, yeah, they are on exactly TV a bit. Right, yeah. But now, obviously, I mean, you say, obviously, Bristol Rovers fans wouldn't know any Bristol Rovers players, but you know, the Bristol Rovers social media account will do some sort of funny yeah, stuff from time to yeah, time. There's a bit yeah. of exposure. You can go on the internet, you can Google Bristol Rovers squad and the squad will yeah, come up. Yeah. But then again, the exposure of the bigger clubs is even bigger now yeah. as well. So yeah, I wonder yeah. if you get more... And also you get kids now who now. support Neymar. They just yeah, support Neymar. Players, yeah, yeah. They just support one player. Yeah. So they change allegiance based on where the player's going. Yeah. Like, that's just absolutely crazy. Um, I think you get... I, I do think you get people growing up who support a Premier League club and they've got like a soft spot for their local club which is in League 2 or, mm. or League 1 you know um, I, yeah it'd be re- interesting to see the rate of because these big clubs do hoover up players I think you have to be from quite a football mad family to keep you on the straight and narrow but um, I um, I, I don't live in Reading anymore this is this is the thing with Reading is uh, there's a there's a really good book about Reading called Rusting Tin and Shiny Plastic, which is basically about the transition from Elm Park to our old stadium to the Medeski, which is now called a terrible sponsor's name, which I uh, said earlier, but I don't really want to repeat too many times because it's just absolute bullshit. <laughs> um, and basically they said, generations don't stay in Reading. There's no real reason to stay in Reading. It's not like, I think he used the comparison of Glasgow, apparently, in the 70s, used to have an, an advertising slogan, which was like, Glasgow's miles better. Um, and that was to keep people in Glasgow. But Reading didn't have that and didn't need it because the tr- the sort of tr- it's a tr- very transitory place. You get people, I've got a few friends, actually, who are grown-ups now, and they've moved, they not from Reading, but they've moved to Reading because they commute to London. And it's like, it's one of those places where you live to be somewhere else. Yeah. It's like classic commuter town. There's yeah. a few massive <clears throat> companies like Oracle or whatever in the city, it's city, in the town, on the outskirts. But as soon as your kids grow up, they will leave Reading. Mm. They'll go and move to London or they'll go and, you know, move to somewhere where they went to university. They work, they'll, there's no reason to stay. So you get a lot of like on the forums and everything at Reading, there's like... Um, that there's there's people who are always like Reading exile, people who live in Sheffield or mm. whatever, who are Reading fans, go down to watch two games, go 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 and watch a couple of away games up, up in the north, or whatever. But the the amount of people that stay in Reading for like three or four generations, I think is is pretty low to be yeah. honest. Yeah. So the average the average attendance at a Reading game. Do you reckon, we'll come on to this later, well, it's really interesting later what we'll come on to because your sort of attachment to Reading is kind of essentially broken, which you yeah. told me just before we started. Yeah, yeah. But is your sense that when, so a Reading home game, you know, they're playing, I don't know, Fulham at home or whatever uh, in, the, in the championship where they are now. 
Do you think most of the fans there are people from Reading who have moved away, have come back for the match? What's the percentage of those people and those who are actually still in the town, do you reckon? Very good question. You get a lot of Reading, you get a lot of people who are, when Southampton were in League One, well, there were a couple of people who sat behind me that were Southampton fans. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> and they just they just turned up to the Medeski Stadium. Just so a lot of away fans, because you probably get tickets yeah, quite easily yeah, yeah, in yeah, the home, yeah. can't you? Yeah. A bit like City. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you, 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 like it's, it's doing a disservice to say that you don't get true Reading fans. Of course you do. And you get a lot of them. However, it's hard to say how many people who have, you know, diehards that have been there through thick and thin to be honest nowadays you probably do have that like I don't know who's going to watch Reading who aren't a Reading fan at the moment mm. do you know what I mean like, it would be just to- it's torture as it is um, but certainly like our average attendance a couple of years ago was probably like well before the pandemic when we were when we missed out on the playoffs was like 19,000 really good season Premier League it was like 22,000 now I don't know what our attendance is but it's probably about 14,000 uh, maybe that's a bit low, but anyway, I guess that shows the, the the number of people who are not really there for Reading and Reading alone. Those five thousand people that used to go when we were good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like you you probably do have the core now who are watching just some dire football played under a transfer embargo, where no one no one's coming in, everyone's leaving. We're playing a lot of academy kids. Uh, we've got uh, we're a, c- a complete team in flux. We've got an owner that never makes public appearances. Um, uh, everyone's really disillusioned. No money, terrible sponsor. Just it's absolute dire. It's quite funny in a way. I was hoping we'd get relegated this year, but I heard Paul Ince, who I'd like to talk to uh, talk about later because he surprised me. Um, it just hit home, actually. After the game against Blackpool, we lost 3-0, but we stayed up. I mean, isn't that typical Reading? <laughs> <laughs> can't even get relegated properly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't, can't win a playoff. Can't get relegated. Um, I, I really wanted us to get relegated. It would drive the owners out, um, uh, drive out the Deadwood, bring in the academy kids. You know, it'd be fun supporting them again. But Paul Ince said something after the game. He was like, if we got relegated to League One, that's half of our backroom staff losing their jobs. Mm. That's half of our admin staff going, people getting redundant. And I just thought, bloody hell, I'm such a, I'm such an idiot for hoping my team got relegated because you don't think of all yeah. of the livelihoods of people behind the scenes. Yeah, like it's so cutthroat and it's such a knife edge that you're imagine working for the club where literally the result in the the squeaky bum time end of the season it, it, it is you know your job's on the line and mm. there's nothing you can do about it just awful yeah so you know i'll never hope my team gets relegated again. yeah now it's interesting to say that because um i've been tuning into quite a few everton podcasts yeah. uh recently this season a lot uh partly because um there's one i listen to specifically the blue room which is done by a couple of people i know re- and it's you know who i know very well and it's a very good podcast but i'll be honest as a liverpool fan largely to laugh at them yeah. and it's been interesting the debates on there there's been a few going yeah let's just get relegated it'll be the best thing for the club we'll clear as you're saying clear out the dead we'll restart we'll have fun in the championship and then you've had counter arguments that saying guys you do realize if you get relegated loads of people at the club are going to lose their job the first people who go it's not the players it's not the deadwood in inverted commas it's the canteen staff it's the admin staff the ticket office staff get cut in half the 
yeah, you know, every, all this, all the sort of blocks of staff get cut in half. People lose their jobs because, you know, because obviously you're making less income in the championship or whatever league you fall into as well. So no, absolutely. It's easy to kind of go, yeah, let's go down and it'll clear the decks. But actually it's the wrong decks in it's a way you're clearing. It's the wrong decks to clear yeah. because the people you want out won't leave. Yeah. And the ones who, who are the backbone of the club. Yeah. Uh, I, are the I, ones um, who go. When we moved from Elm Park to the Medeski Stadium, <laughs> which was in 1998. <clears throat> so that year we got relegated before we moved to our new ground. So we 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 basically started playing football in a 25,000 seater stadium in what is now League 1. Mm. You know. And I think there must have been a lot of resentment from everyone within the club thinking we're spending all of this money on a new stadium. Our football team is absolute dog shit. Um like our manager's gone. We're we're in absolute turmoil. But now we've got this abs- like shiny new stadium that's going to have 9,000 people in it every mm. week at the bare maximum, uh, of which I was one of them. And, and you just think, like, it must... It's, it was a decade beginning with resentment, I think, mm. at Reading, from within the club. Like, Elm Park, everyone loved. It wasn't It wasn't fit for to host football anymore. And in fact, if we did get uh, promoted in 1995, when we um, came second, but they, they changed the structure of the Premier League to just 20 teams... So only two, only one team could go up automatically and one in the playoffs. Yeah. Because so the Premier League went from 22 to 20 clubs. That's right, it? Yeah. yeah. So we actually, um, we came second that year. We played Bolton Wanderers in the playoff final. Mm. Uh, we lost 4-3 being like, I think we were 3-1 up. I was That was my first memory of a big Reading game apart from the FA Cup against West Ham, uh, against Man United. Man United. Yeah, um, yeah so, so we would have gone up to the Premier League in a ground about the... About ten thousand mm. that could hold ten thousand people was bought in the built in the Victorian times. Like it would have been absolutely diabolical. So we did need to change stadiums, but but when we decided to build a new stadium, we were good. Yeah. And then when we moved into the new stadium, we we're in Division Two, then yeah. now League One. So I think there's like a real disconnect with fans of now of Reading and the previous generation or a couple of generations before. A couple of generations before, everyone was like, we are terrible. We are a League One team, or Division Three South, as it was called, in Elm Park, 10,000 people. Uh, our best player is a player no one ever saw play, Robin Friday. <laughs> Why did no one ever see him play? <laughs> just like, just like, was there was there? no TV footage. Oh, right. So like 5,000 people, you know, and like when he did turn up, everyone's story about him like, Scoring this amazing goal. So good, the referee applauded. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, against, I think yeah. it was against Tranmere. Anyway. That sounds like something like, like, he sounds like Mike Dean's sort of great-grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> something like it, Dean well, Senior would do. It's, it's <laughs> like, um, it, it's this legend that you can never full, like live up to. Yeah. You can't ever emulate that. He did it barefoot it, as well. Yeah, it didn't exist. It's like, yeah, that Pele goal. Don't know if you remember, there was that Pele goal where he dribbled around everyone. 20 times <laughs> lit a cigar and then bummed the ball in with his with his bum cheek into the back of the net and there was no um there was no footage of yeah. it so you just relied on this like hearsay and then i saw i saw on like the news i don't know what this is but they were like oh scientists it was always scientists have recreated pele's goal with um latest technology and there's here's the youtube link and you can watch it and it was like this cartoon or like slightly like like basically mid-2000s football manager sim like style highlights or a bit better than that of Pele not very realistically um like 
CGI technology of him scoring this goal. And it's like, well, that didn't happen. Yeah. That's nonsense. It's just completely unrealistic. <laughs> it's a bit like that with Robin Friday. Yeah. You know, like, I think if people nowadays saw the games he played, I mean, I'm sure he was great, but he was in he was in Division 3 South. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? He was like, and he was pissed. Most of the time he was drunk. So, yeah, there's a disconnect with uh, old fans who remember we were shit and new fans who are like, we've got a 25,000-seater stadium. We played in the Premier League under Steve Coppel and latterly Brian McDermott. We we should be really good. We deserve mm. to be in the Premier League. There's only 20 teams who can play in the Premier League and there's 10 teams in the Championship who potentially could go up. I don't think we're even one of those anymore. Mm. Like, there's so many more teams that should be that deserve more than us kind of thing and uh yeah there's there's, so there's like real disconnect with we've got a massive stadium but we are we are playing way you know we're spending way above our means we should say you're currently as of recording you're 21st in the championship yeah following a uh, 3-0 defeat to Hull on Saturday. That was the most, most recent game. Yeah, as you mentioned, Paul Ince is your manager. We'll come on to him later. I must, I literally had no idea Paul Ince was your manager. Oh, that, that sort of sub- bit of news that snuck through that I didn't know. Yeah, really tough season. You had to sort of scrap to stay up. You are Now you're, you are safe, aren't we're you? We're safe, yeah. yeah After yeah. a 3-0 defeat, we're safe. But we're going to lose a, We're under a transfer embargo. We've got no money. Our owner doesn't talk to anyone. We are going to lose a lot of players. A couple of our good players this year have been loanies. Like, for example, Danny Drinkwater has been excellent. Um, but they're, they're not staying. Mm. So, and also uh, a couple of our players will probably have to sell to sort of make way, mm. uh, to, to make ends meet. So we're under a new structure with the EFL to like, um, to basically keep our wage bill as what it should be. And that means literally kids will play. I think we'll get relegated next season, mm. to be honest. Um, but I mean... Paul Ince, I, I mean, I was one of the first people saying like, this is, and I've met Paul Ince. He's a really lovely guy. Absolutely lovely guy. But he hadn't managed for eight years. I thought this is absolutely ridiculous, but mm. he's actually galvanised. It's yeah. so weird. He's actually done well, really he well. A, he had a sort of good record. And I mean, I felt quite sorry for him what happened at Blackburn because he was really amazing. It was in Macclesfield. He sort of kept them up or yeah, got them promoted. Or something. Blackburn. MK Dons as well. Yeah, I think MK Dons, he was good as well. And in between, he got that Blackburn job around, two, I think it was in 2008 exactly. Yeah, the start of the 08, 09 season, I remember. And he'd only, it was his first Premier League job and they sacked him after like six games. I just thought it was incredibly harsh yeah. and his career sort of never really recovered. He has had jobs since, but then I think he went to Blackpool and it didn't work out for him at all. I think he actually went quite, got quite ugly there. And then he sort of disappeared off the face of the earth. And I, said, I had no idea he was Reading Manager until I was doing the research he for this is, podcast. Um, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to say he's not a tactician because I don't know him in that respect. But I did a job for Paddy Power with Paul Ince um, where <clears> we were in a sketch and I was like bandaging his head um, to recreate his, his uh, game against Italy. Oh, yeah. 97, and, yeah. Yeah, no. so I, spoke, I I was with him for like a good morning and he was just absolutely amazing guy. He's just, he's like a kid. It's a, yeah. He's brilliant. He's such a, he's so bubbly and like energetic. And he was like, Anthony, I'm going to fuck this take up. Like, watch this. And the director <laughs> would be like, and action. He'd be like, all right, Anthony, you come. And I'd be like, oh, mate. <laughs> Jesus. I'll have to bleep that out. Insane. But he was, it was funny. It was really, yeah, yeah. you know, as much as, saying the c word on set can be charming it was he was such a nice guy and he told he full of stories but and and that's what weirdly a struggling club might need Mm. they need a guy who is just warm and you know and funny and uh, and that's what paul lince was like really raising the morale i i have i hesitate to say like whether he'd be very good if we were mired in 
towards the relegation zone like six months into his stint yeah. as manager because he feels like a person who can lift you out of trouble but not kind of keep you out of trouble. Mm. You know, it feels like we... If It's even whether he wants to stay with us, but he seems to have done such a good job. I'd be willing to let him on. I mean, great. Well done, mm. Lindsay. You know, yeah. and I never thought I'd say that. No, no. Well, as a, as a, as a Liverpool fan, he wasn't great for us, so... Um... I very rarely said well done Incy when he played for us yeah. but no I mean he's I, I do genuinely in all seriousness think he's been harshly treated in sort of managerial terms I think the Blackburn um, situation him getting sacked there after I said only after a handful of games really threw him back because before that he was doing incredibly well and sort of post that he seems to be doing quite well as well but I, I don't know if he'll ever manage in the Premier League because of that Blackburn sacking yeah possibly sort of well, really we seems might to get haunt promoted him. next year you never know I mean like on know. the Yapstam we were I think we came 20th the season before and then we came fifth or fourth mm. in the in the championship it's like uh, uh, unbelievable like change you know we were penalty shootout away from going back up to the premier league mm. so you know stranger things have happened but uh, yeah i think if we start off struggling under paul Ince, well i'd like i'd love to be proved wrong but uh we we might struggle yeah yeah well let's okay let's go back then so um i was going to say let's go back to happier times but i'm not sure it necessarily <laughs> is so let's uh, let's go back to your first game so i always ask guests who come on this podcast to, to to let me know about the first game they remember going to and anthony has kindly uh, provided me with the details of his first reading game uh, so it took place on the 23rd of september 1995 it was a two-all draw with port vale yeah, in division I, one which is now the championship yeah. Jamie Lambert scored both of Reading's goals. Um, and if the opening paragraph of the match report on the royals.org website is anything yeah. to go by, it wasn't a great game. Um, I'll just they, read. they keep talking about long ball, don't they? Uh, well, I, I think they... Yeah, yeah, they do, actually. I've just looked back at <laughs> my notes. So this is the opening paragraph of the Royal Org website's report on that tool joy Port Vale in September 95. Um, Reading started reasonably brightly and in control, but produced no real clear-cut chances and rapidly began to deteriorate. What threatened to be a bad performance turned into one of those real classic shit long ball games yeah. that makes a bad performance look excellent. Yeah. You get the idea, Reading were crap. Yeah. Um, and I know from the notes you sent me, that's uh, pretty much your, your, your memory. Yeah, You're so only 10 at the time, quite yeah, young. I was 10 at the time. My, my, um, so I didn't, I basically, and it's probably true now, I... All of my opinions about football came from someone slightly older. So, ba- so basically, my uh, best mate at the time, his dad decided to take us to a Reading game, maybe for my mate's birthday. So uh, I remember him ringing up the ticket office, like no online, ringing up the ticket office, waiting in a queue, buying the tickets. Don't think they were. They obviously weren't season ticket holders then. And uh, took us to the game. And his dad just spent the whole 90 minutes complaining. I mean, like, it was, from what I can remember, the only thing I can remember was the ball, we had a tin corrugated iron roof under the main stand, and the ball kept just bouncing onto the roof, so you, like, (laughs) obviously were playing such a long ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, The ball kept bouncing on the roof. Uh, I remember the first and only time I've heard, no, the first time I I heard someone shout the C word, and it was an elderly lady. (laughs) She was, like, 70. I was like, blimey. Uh, I don't remember any of the goals. don't remember anything apart from we were 2-1 down. And um, Richard, his name was, his dad said, right, come on, we're off. With 85 minutes gone. So we left. We got going and I thought, oh, this is, must be what people do at football. So we left and went into the concourse and then we heard our, the home fans celebrate as we'd equalised. So yeah, missed, missed basically, missed the last goal, which became quite a habit actually. So from then on, because as I said, I didn't I didn't come from a football going family. 
I assumed that that was the done thing. You leave, <laughs> you leave with five minutes to go. Yeah. You just leave with five minutes to go, even if there's no need to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, so I, so I, uh, the first season I started supporting us properly was in 1998 when we were in the new stadium. I, my, a guy who I don't know who he was, he just gave me a season ticket, gave me this card, which was a smart card, or may, oh, I can't remember if it was a smart card or, because I know we had smart cards, but I'm not sure if the first season we had paper season tickets. Anyway, gave me season ticket. And I was like... So who was this? Just some, some random, random guy. guy. Well, just gave you his season yeah. ticket. I don't know if I was being groomed or like... I was anyway, going to say, sounds a bit... Y26, which Jimmy is where... Jimmy Yeah. So I sat in Y26, which was the sort of, I guess, where the hardcore Reading fans sit. Right at the top. Just on my own. Didn't know anyone. Didn't go to school in Reading. So I didn't have any friends to go with. Just this guy gave me a, a season ticket. He said, oh, I don't... Uh, uh, my friend or someone doesn't go anymore, so have this. For the whole of that season, I was so... I didn't know if it was a forgery. So if I ever saw a steward looking at me suspiciously before the game, I just went and bought a ticket. <laughs> even Which though I absolutely had, defeats the purpose of a season ticket. 23 <laughs> tickets. I, uh, I was like, oh, oh, he's looking at me right. I'll go. <laughs> went, to the, went to the ticket office, bought a ticket. So anyway, and I thought, because I was on my own, get the park and ride bus from the station, from Winnish, get the, go to Winnish, uh, get train to Reading, get the park and ride bus. As you've done before yourself. Yeah. And so there was fantastic. no reason to leave early. Because you're just getting on a bus, you're <laughs> yeah, not even yeah. leaving the car park. The buses go every three minutes. And it, and also if you leave early, you just sat on a bus waiting. So yeah. after the final whistle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I never thought that. But yeah. I thought that was that was it. That's yeah. that's what being a football fan was. So even now, when I go to a game, it does feel weird staying for the whole night. Really? really weird. And like the amount of times we've been to extra time, I'm thinking, bloody hell, I'm really getting my money. <laughs> Jeez. So yeah, very, very odd. I think I don't think I'm a typical sort of club football fan. Like a lot of the things that were ingrained in me, I don't think other people experience. Like I used to get to the game an hour before kickoff, just sat there reading the program. Like one of the first in the stadium, and then still left I thought, five I, well, minutes to go. I mean, I go to Liverpool with a guy um, who who has basically has missed about five home games in thirty yeah. years. He's absolutely insane about going to Anfield uh, home and away you know he's been following the club for 30 years he, he gets in an hour before the game I don't I'll go to the pub and have a pint yeah. with, with yeah, sort of yeah. the other lads I travel with but he'll get in about an hour not religiously but if he's got nothing to do if he's not hungry if he doesn't want to have a drink he'll just go in and sit so yeah. it's not that rare but yeah that for me is that's a long time before kickoff it's a long time before kickoff when you're like 13 and yeah, like, yeah. you're just sitting on your own and you're out and of you haven't got a mobile phone as haven't well haven't got a mobile phone yeah. you're reading the programme yeah. which is fucking boring actually a program like manager's notes it's like yeah. oh we'll try our best and then now and then you get the fanzine which is like a, a little sort of a5 like booklet called the whiff and just like reading that for a bit not understanding any of the in jokes because you haven't really been supporting the club very long yeah pretending you know what the in jokes are just watching the stadium fill up like you're a, a human time-lapse camera <laughs> weird leaving five minutes ago when i, I remember do you remember speaking about danny baker again own goals and gaffes was one of his videos. Yeah, legendary video. He does the links between. Yeah. And one of them was like, I can't understand, right? I can't understand people that leave before a game. Would you leave when you're having sex with your wife? Would you leave five minutes before? I'm thinking, I've never had sex. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is a weird reference. I'm just going to keep leaving five minutes early, yeah. if that's okay with you, to get my bus. Yeah. Crazy. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so those early days of being a fan kind of was so formative of 
I remember those days more than I remember like 2015. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like you remember your early days way it, more. It is really interesting that the fact that you left early in your first game has really sort of stuck with you. Yeah. First game uh, was a for, yeah. First game we yeah. First game at the new stadium, f- sellout. One of the rare times in League One there's ever been a sellout. Uh, played Luton Town at home, like August. We were already already because it was like the third game. We played the first two games I think away from home. So the first game, first home game. We're already like twenty first in the table. So this would be like this would be the start of ninety eight, ninety nine. So division season. two under Tommy Burns. Yeah. So already we were shit, and uh, went to the first game with my dad, who rarely, you know, he was like, "Well, we better do something because this is big. Let's go." And we went with a couple of a school friend of mine. We all went together, and we left early. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we left early. So like. And that was my, you know, I I said like, oh, we're gonna let's leave now. Yeah. They were like, oh yeah, you're right. The traffic might be, yeah, might be difficult. It's just like I think it's not just me leaving early. Clearly, it's football fans in general. But. Well, I gotta say, I hate leaving early. Yeah. I, I was made to leave early, a Liverpool game early once. So I went with a friend and his uncle. It was Boxing Day 2002. Went to see Black Blackburn play at Anfield. Liverpool Blackburn at Anfield ended one all, and I went with my friend and his uncle, and he made us leave. I think stupidly early, like 20 minutes before the end or 15 maybe. No, and it was just, because to be fair, I was staying with him and they were going back to Bournemouth. So it's oh, a long okay. drive back. Yeah, but still, yeah. I was like, if you're here, you might as well just do the extra 15 minutes. Absolutely, I'd rather yeah. have 15 minutes less sleep yeah. or half an hour less sleep if the yeah, traffic yeah. builds up. Then we're here now. And at that time, I go regularly now to Anfield. But at that time, I was going very, very infrequently. So yeah. it was a real special moment for me to be there. And going early is just, yeah. No, I, I'm completely opposite to you. I will even, you know, in Liverpool four 0 up, which is you know quite often the case. And I'm playing very well, obviously. I will still stay till the end. I just yeah. it's, so I think me and you are very um, uh, very another different. Th- another thing back in Division <clears throat> Two, another thing about being a fan like was just completely bonkers looking back at it. Division Two, it was obviously allocated seating, but there are only nine thousand people in a twenty-five thousand seat stadium. So basically, in the East Stand, which is now I think called the John Modeski Stand, um, you could basically sit where you wanted. So I got a ticket for like row D seat 37 but for some reason because there was a little bit of atmosphere I'd sit right at the top the very top seat in the stadium to sit with like everyone who was singing so I so I had this terrible view of the field (laughs) I couldn't really see what was going on and it was only when I would leave the game five minutes early I'd walk down the steps down to the 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 exit that I could actually see the players (laughs) So I just have this bird's eye view of the game. Yeah, yeah. And then like you go down and you'd be like, oh shit, that's what Phil Parkinson looks like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that's also, I'm, I'm quite high up in the cop. And, I mean, the, my view is pretty good, but you sort of trade off view for atmosphere at games, true. I think. Yeah, and true, I, yeah. I, I'll take atmosphere because if I want to watch the game properly, I'll, yeah. I'll just watch it on telly. Have you ever I, watched in the first row of uh, uh, right pitch side? I've watched behind the goal This ones. is so ironic you should say this. So... Um, the one and only time my wife has ever gone to Anfield was to see Liverpool Reading, oh. believe it or not, is in November 2006. And I'm part of a... scored for us, I think. No, I, think I think we won 2-0. Dirk Cowell oh, scored both. Yeah, okay. it, was a league, it was a Premier League game in November 2006. And she was my girlfriend at the time. We'd only been dating for a few months. I was still in the sort of impressing her stages. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm part of a, a, part of a supporters club. Uh, I've got a season ticket now. I've had it for nearly 10 years. But at that time, I, I got it through this club. It's run by this guy I was mentioning who, who goes all the time. And uh, so I was like, oh, could you get me sort of two tickets? I want to take my girlfriend to Anfield, impress her a bit. So he's like, yeah, that's fine. So we got on our sort of little bus. And he always, at that time, he used to, I said, I've got a season ticket now, but at that time he used to distribute the tickets on the bus. And 
at that time, I was quite regularly getting either tickets in the Cop or the Anfield Road End, which is the stand up yeah. uh, behind the other goal. Is that where the away fans sit? Yeah, yeah, that same stand. So the view from both of them is pretty, you know, it's good. So I thought, either I'll get one of those. We'll get two yeah. there. That'll be wherever, Cop or Anfield Road is fine. Uh, instead, and this is the only time I've, I've sat here, he got us two tickets for the paddock, which is side on. It's the same side as the dugouts, and it is literally the first row. You are actually below ground level. Wow. So when you sit in your seat, the pitch comes up to about your neck. And I couldn't believe it. It's the one and only time, I, you know, the first time I've taken my then girlfriend, now wife, yeah. to, to Anfield. And we basically saw footballers' boots sort of in our <laughs> eye line. And it, we were near the away end. So if anything happened near the away end, our view was incredible. Like yeah. it was like you're in the game. It was like sort of just quite overwhelming because everyone was so close to you. But if it happened at the cop end at the other side, you couldn't see a fuck all. Basically, because uh, the pitch was literally kind God. of, you're below the pitch. So if anything happened at the far end, you yeah. had sort of grass in your eye line, if that makes yeah. sense. So yeah, the, to the, answer your question, I have. And ironically, it was against Reading. The, the one time actually, I've, not the one time, but I've sat very close to the pitch one memorable time was because we played Millwall and I was too scared to sit up in my normal place because <laughs> yeah, it was too close yeah, yeah. to the away fans. I was, I was genuinely too scared. So I sat like two, three, three rows from the, you know, as far away from the potential fighting as possible. Yeah. I mean, we we sort of come on to. The, I do want to talk about stadiums a bit because we we've sort of we, we've talked about it variously, but just to sort of nail down the detail. So Reading's. Um, initial first home ground if you like as you said was Elm Park that's where yeah. you saw the Port Vale game September yeah. 1995 and it was a home ground from 1896 to 1998 right. and then they moved to the Majeski Stadium which was named after the club's then chairman John Majeski um, I never went to Elm Park I've been, as I said, I've been to the Majeski Stadium a few times uh, never been as an away fan actually but I covered a few games there when, yeah. you, when you guys were in the Premier League quite a few actually um, they sound like very, very contrasting stadiums. Elm Park, as you said, very rickety, Elm very Park old. Elm Park was a proper stadium. Yeah, and Majeski Stadium, a bit kind of Lego, just, uh, made that Lego, yeah, yeah, Lego-y. Yeah, um, yeah, identical. Just uh, next to a Pizza Hut and a McDonald's, yeah. um, in a giant retail park, <clears throat> um, just by the motorway. Great for access if you're driving. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think any away fan, if you if you ever look on an away fan's message board, you know when you're playing, you know. And they're, and they're like all oh, Reading this weekend. And they're like, oh, shit stadium, dull, soulless. You know, one of those stadiums where we don't, but, you know, you can imagine like bringing, like giving the fans plastic clappers to a bit like Fulham or Leicester, you know, to create some atmosphere. The pitch is terrible because we share it. Well, we used to share it with the rugby team. Mm. Firstly, Richmond and then uh, London Irish. Um, and half full. Like, so no atmosphere. Like I've heard it rocking before like i think the best atmosphere i heard was actually weirdly against millwall at home but also you know in the odd playoff semi-final at home under lights Hmm. great atmosphere when it's full but you know it's one of those stadiums where it's half full it's just it's just so soulless and terrible so yeah was did elmer park because it because it was small and it was a bit rickety and old school um did that generate a far better atmosphere was it good i would would say so but i was way too young yeah i guess so so um yeah from what i just know from being told it's it was great atmosphere um on, uh, it's proper terracing um the main stand was under a corrugated iron roof so like you've got the echoing from that mm. um very <clears throat> compact uh trying to think of like a, a a a similar one i don't i've never been to kenilworth road but i always imagine the club like that having like a or the county ground at swindon mm. like just small and 
old school mm. and i think that's what fans like mm. you know i think i think football clubs made a terrible mistake of making all of these exactly the same like whole city stadium yeah. bolton stadium yeah. all of these stadiums exactly the same like because there's they're just they could be anyone the yeah. only reason you know it's reddings is because it's got the badge like spray painted into its seats yeah, yeah, yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. it's like it, 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 there's no difference if London Irish played there, just it, different fans. Something quite sad about that. I mean, Chris, is, yeah. Chris Scarl, who, who, who co-hosts the excellent Quickly Kevin podcast, uh, Quickly Kevin Willie Score, the 90s football podcast. He's been on this on this podcast a while. He's a big West Ham fan. And he, he makes a great point about this. He says he he hates kind of new stadiums. that has got identical kind of bowls like the Emirates yeah. or Man City Stadium, or I guess, you know, the Majeski Stadium as well. And he makes a great point. He goes, when you build a stadium, wouldn't you want to make it as intimidating as possible? Oh, totally. I mean, why why are stadiums built the way they are because they are just so welcoming to away yeah. fans you'd want the stands right up against the absolutely. pitch absolutely you want you want the seating to be really high and yeah, vertical exactly you so want um, towers over the yeah towers you, over the game, you want yeah. uh, you want some some sort of identity but to create that in front of a board of directors and with three architects like drawing mm. their like plans I don't think they really consult the fan, the fans at the planning stage, do they? They're like, how much money have we got? Right, this is what we can build for it. Okay, how much profit will that make? This much, great. Is it next to the motorway? Perfect. You know, it's um, it's really difficult. And I think clubs are actually getting better at that. They are beginning to realise that the, st- the mistakes that have been made in the past. Um, look, look at Everton's proposed grounds. I mean, mm. that looks banging doesn't it yeah i mean if it ever happens i don't know what's happening now it'll be a great championship ground it'll be amazing yeah <laughs> it'll be amazing but they're playing in league one in a few years and absolutely yeah it'd be great the best uh, ground in league one but yeah it's 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 part of it, it 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 doesn't create a fan base that really want to be there and really want to take pride in their club and that's the shame yeah absolutely we've had some disastrous sponsors We've had. When you sponsored by Waitrose, at Waitrose, and that's How a lovely sponsor. Is that? Oh, it's lovely. How Come on, is that? Like, doesn't again, high end sponsor that does yeah. not strike fear. In no, that's true. That is Waitrose, Kyocera. There are. We, we had Kyocera, photocopying company, and we had Carabao, which I'm still convinced is like a money laundering operation. So I've never seen. <laughs> I've never seen a can of Carabao that is sold true. anywhere. That is true. I've never seen. You that cannot shit. buy it for love nor money. Yeah, I don't understand how they exist as a company. Uh, West Coast. What's West Coast? Is that the railway company? Uh, no. Is it not? No. Oh, wow. West Coast. We, we had West Coast in the 2000s. Um, I'm actually going to Google what West Coast is. In fact, I'm not because that would take too long. <laughs> but when you're sponsored by a company that you don't even know who they are, that doesn't help. Anyway, um, we've had some dreadful sponsors. We've had some dreadful owners. We had a Russian owner who didn't have any money. We only found out afterwards. We had Thai owners who created their own song for the club, which they insisted was played before games. It was the most, it's been labelled as the most embarrassing football song of all time. Really? And in fact, anyone, you know, now and then it will surface again on social media and people will send it to me and I'll be like, yeah, I've listened to this song once and that once was enough. I've got the lyrics here. I was going to say, what are the lyrics? Have you got I'll, them? Uh, I'll find them. <laughs> uh, here we go. So, so basically the Thai owner, now the Thai the owners loved the club, right? They really loved the club. Um, and, and there was can't the, make that the, clear the, the matriarch of, of the, 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 the ownership I can't remember what her name was but she loved the club so much in their two years of knowing Reading existed uh, they loved, she loved the club so much she composed a song she wrote the lyrics herself and then she had them she had, them, uh, she had it produced by a recording studio and a band and 
so the lyrics go like this, which I, I think she might have used Google Translate. I don't know what her English was like, but I'm sure it was good. But uh, here it goes. So we started when all the odds defied us. Through passion and dreams, we reached new heights. We were marching proudly from Elm Park into the stadium. We forced our rivals to make way. Now we're here and we're strong. We're going to bring it on. Can you hear when we shout, come on? We fight to the end. They call us the Royals. With our might, we'll defend the glory of Reading. Like the kings of our land, they call us the Royals. Let us sing every man. We stand by the Royals. It goes on for three more verses. Can I say, I, I quite like that. We're fighting the butterflies tonight. No, okay. I, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> That's ruined it. It was, it was absolutely fine until the butterflies. There's a rap. There's, There's a, a rap as well. Yeah. They're talking about the smell of the fame. How we love the thrill of a good game. How we like the smell of the fame. Doesn't matter if we learn or win. Unstoppably, we burn within. Getting ready to shed our sweat. Everyone get ready and set. Let's celebrate tonight. Our blood is blue. Our wings are white. What do you reckon fame smells like? It smells horrible. Sweat. Yeah. It's, it, it probably smells musky. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to say, like, her intentions were obviously really well-meaning. But that's got to be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to a football club is their owner creating a song that they then piped into the stadium before the game just Bloody to get everyone. So would that up. play before every home game? It, well, it did for like two games, yeah. and then they even they like realised the error of their ways and yeah. trying to sort of sub, sub, uh, try to hide it basically. But yeah, not not quick enough for your banter fan sites of this world. You know, put it on Twitter now and then saying, "Is anyone more cringe than this?" And it's yeah. like, "Yeah, I'm a Reading fan." This is this is us. I'd love to say no, we're above this, but this is literally yeah. us. I'll tell you what, you get you get sort of um, disconnected and distant owners who don't give a shit about the club. Yeah. These owners are properly so invested, exactly. they're writing yeah, yeah, yeah. raps and about they, the club. They had to sell up, um, and then now, now our new ownership um, don't. I mean, pros don't write cringeworthy songs. Cons don't have any money and under a transfer embargo because <laughs> they can't run a football club properly you know what would you take absolutely i would take i would take the rap also um, just whip out the butterfly line yeah. keep smell the, butterfly. Uh, the smell of fame i do smell like of, yeah, i'm intrigued by of that fame. um sing every man we stand by the royals this is the thing about the royals as well uh, it's a bit of a cringe tory sort of thing isn't yeah, it yeah it is Being, a little bit like nicknamed the royals we used to be nicknamed the biscuit man because we had a bis- big biscuit factory. And that's pretty cool. That biscuit is quite men. cool, yeah. That's yeah. quite old school. We're all biscuit men after all. We are, we after, are after yeah. all, we're all biscuit men. Find me a man who isn't a biscuit <laughs> man, and he's not a man. But, but, but to be called the Royal, Royals is like, you know, another another of a long line of cringeworthy things yeah. that happened to our club. It's not the best. Look, we've been speaking for over an hour. We've barely talked about any football, which is quite oh, yeah. incredible. <laughs> so let's do a little bit of football chat. So as you said, uh, when you started, uh, when you went to your first Reading game in 1995, the club was in Division 1. Yeah. Uh, they weren't very good they finished I think 19th that season yeah. eventually got relegated as you said in 1998 uh, to division the old division two, the third yeah. tier yeah. of English football which is obviously a horrendous time because that's also when you move to your stadium yeah. but things then did improve into the noughties and there is a real standout season in that period it's yeah. the 2005-2006 season Reading got promoted from what was then known or became then known as the championship which of course it's still known now as well the second tier of English football to the Premier League first time ever promoted to the Premier League you went up not only as champions but with a massive 106 points 
which is, I think it remains the highest it, it, total it does, yeah. gained in a professional league season. It came under Steve Koppel with a team including the likes of Graham Murty, um, Ivor, Ingemarsson, Ibrahim yeah. Sonko, Nicky yeah. Shorey, Steve Sidwell, yeah. Glenn Harper. Little yeah. and Kevin Doyle, all of whom Don't make your him. all-time yeah. uh, Reading eleven, which we'll yeah, come on to later. Yeah, th- this is the thing. I, I mean, that's such a standout season for us that it's impossible really when you're choosing a team of your supporting life. It's, it's going to dominate it. Mm. I mean... We, we went up a couple of years later under Brian McDermott. Mm. And it's weird how few of the players in that side make anyone's top 11s of the last decade, yeah. uh, last couple of decades. But that team was so iconic. In fact, um, the championship winning team, Steve Koppel said that was the easiest, easiest year of his life because he didn't have to do anything. Because the team were just there. They were firing on all cylinders. And he used to just say to them, carry on, lads. Yeah. You know, we had such a good team. We we played amazing like counter attacking football. Uh, we had um, Bobby Convey was uh, one of our standout players that season. He unfortunately, got a really terrible injury. He wasn't the same again, um, which was a shame because he would have lit up the Premier League. I still think. Um, but but we had we had one of those teams where everyone came for next to nothing. Like Kevin Doyle, we bought from like Cork City for like twenty five grand, and and weirdly they were like, oh, do you want Shane Long as well? We're like, okay, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, cool. We'll just have Shane Long for free. Yeah, yeah great. It's around the same period that Seamus Coleman went to, because Seamus Coleman went for like from an Irish team. I can't remember one now to Everton for like six yeah. p or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So around that, so sound, they all seem like around the same time. Irish clubs were yeah, just selling really good right, players really for nothing. Cheap players. Yeah. And Steve Coppel said he was in Cork scouting and he was just drunk. He had a couple of too many Guinnesses and you watched Kevin Doyle play and he was like, yeah, this is the man. But yeah, like we got a lot of players at that time from Brentford, uh, Inga Marson, um, I think Stephen Hunt came from Brentford. Every, I mean, you'd struggle to find a team playing Premier League football that were bought for less money than that Reading team. Mm. And yet we came eighth or yeah. seventh or eighth. That season. It was like, well, I'll just say that. So that championship season when you went up with 106 yeah. points. So uh, yeah, Reading obviously they won the league, played 46, won 31, drew yeah. 13. Lost our first game of the season. Oh as really? Because well. then you only lost one more. Yeah, so you exactly. only lost two all so, season. So yeah. the first game of the season, I think we lost. Yeah. And then can you imagine that? Like almost like Arsenal Invincibles, except we actually won some games and didn't yeah. draw them all. <laughs> <laughs> If any Arsenal fans listening, I distanced myself from that comment. Uh, and you scored a slightly agonising 99 goals yeah, that season as well. Yeah, stuck on 99. But um, I think our last game of the season, like even we even let Graham Murty take a penalty. Oh, so, okay. you know, like the, the goals are really spread around. We had such a good team. And then, as happens, uh, the, the previews from the press for the Premier League season, uh, uh, journalists just predicted us to go straight back mm. down. And I just thought... There is absolutely no chance of that happening. We're keeping all of our players. They're, they're playing... I mean, all of those journalists that put them to go down would not have seen a single game in the Championship. We were so far above the Championship. If, they, if we'd have played the bottom three of the Premier League that season, being in the Championship, we would have beaten them very easily. We'd mm. have beaten lower mid-table Premier League teams. March the 25th at Leicester. The Royals chairman had cut short a holiday to ensure he didn't miss this occasion. 3,000 Reading supporters were there. A victory would ensure promotion. Anything less meant results elsewhere had to fall Reading's way. Leicester had improved under Rob Kelly. The Foxes had the better of it. And Ian Hume struck the opening goal in the first half. Marcus Harneman made important saves. And Joey Goodjonsson rattled the woodwork. At half-time it looked as though the promotion party would have to wait. But Reading dug out a result. 
Five minutes from time, James Harper's corner was flicked on by Ivar Ingemarsson and Kevin Doyle was celebrating. With Watford now losing and Leeds drawing, the goal didn't affect the mathematical equation. Reading was set for promotion. Unless, of course, the outcome changed at either Elland or Vicarage Roads. They sang in hope. The celebrations had to wait until the stadium announcer confirmed Leeds had drawn with Stoke. After 135 years, Reading Football Club had made it to the top flight of English football. They would be playing in the Premiership from August 2006. It's a magic moment, it really is a magic moment for Reading Football Club, for the chairman, for myself, for all the players and more importantly for all those people. They've waited a long time for this so I hope they have a great night tonight. When we went up to the Premier League, we bought a couple of players. I think we bought Leroy Lita, or I might be wrong. Um, the players that we did buy were not our stand-up performers at all. It was still the players that carried us through. Mm. Like Nicky Shuri, Graham Murty, Ivor Ingemars and Ibrahim Asonko, all of these players. Uh, Brunia Gunnarsson, Kevin Doyle, um, Dave Kitson. They were all championship players. And yeah. even Nicky Shorey joined us in when we yeah. were in And he got capped by England, one. didn't he, Nicky Shorey? Yeah, Nicky Shorey got while capped twice by England. Um, yeah. And he was a player who I always thought could play for England. And I don't think we had... We had Ashley Cole, right? England had Cole at the time, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But... And Ashley Cole, I still think, is is one of the best left-backs the world has ever seen. Mm. Which He's is, definitely England's greatest ever left-back, without a sure. doubt. And I think um, without Ashley Cole being there, Nicky Shorey would have played loads mm. more times for England. But... As often happens with a small, unfashionable club, you're not going to get... I mean, if it seems so obvious to say this, but if Nicky Shorey played for Liverpool, he'd have 50 mm. caps or 20 cap, 25 caps. But um, yeah, unfashionable club, you know, it's gonna, you're going to find England caps hard to come by. But a few of those players definitely deserved call-ups yeah. um, to various <clears throat> national teams. Yeah, so as you're saying, you spent—I mean—you spent two seasons in the Premier League, uh, consecutive seasons. So yeah. the '06, '07 season, when you finished eighth, which is absolutely remarkable. As you said, given it was mainly the team that got promoted from the Championship, yeah. you didn't add too much to it. Then the following season, 2007-2008 season, uh, you finished 18th, so quite a drop off, and you ended up getting relegated. It was on the last day, wasn't it? it was a, yeah, you actually Derby, beat Derby four 0 or something. Yeah, I think yeah. you beat Derby. Yeah, four 0 the last day, but you still went down. But during those two seasons, there are some—I was going through this. There's some real notable results. So. Um, there was a one-all draw with Manchester United at the, yeah. at the Majeski in September 2006. A yeah, two-all draw penalty, I think. Okay, two-all draw away to Chelsea in, this, in December 2006. Yeah. A six-nil win against West Ham yeah, on, on New, New Year's Day. Yeah, New Year's yeah. Day, January 2007 at the Majeski. A nil-nil draw away to Manchester United on the opening day of the 07-08 season. City away that year as well. Yeah, although I don't think they're the city they are now, were they? I think. No, but, but still, they still had lots of money. And, yeah, they might have uh, been, I actually yeah. went to that game and um, away, and. Uh, we tore them up. It was it was just amazing. Uh, no, they did. They still had a you know they still had the the they they still had billions. But it was the billions under the tax uh, in, tax in Chinawatcha, Chinawatcha, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so obviously we were still massive, under the yeah. overachieving. Yeah. Um, but they were just in disarray. I think they had um, I can't remember what his name was up front. Uh, oh, 
can't remember. But anyway, they had players like Demarcus Beasley and play, you know, yeah. not not. I think that was a sort of Rubinho, Joe. Yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. not even Rubinho. I don't think he'd arrived yet. But it was like Joe, Joe and, think, yeah. and all those lot. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we we had some great results. Um, I should say as well, you also had a three-one win against Liverpool at the Majeski in December two thousand seven, and a six-four defeat away to Tottenham in the same month. So yeah, I was just right. going to ask you, sort of memories of those two years. I mean, there were some standout games. Were you going quite a lot during those uh, two years? I was actually living abroad in Paris, oh, okay. so I was watching everything on a legal stream, and it was just such terrible time. So I did French at uni. So I was I was at university in in Paris and uh, just watching everything at like two p, uh, four p.m. on a Saturday, on some sort of dodgy like internet stream. Um, whenever I went back, I watched us. So yeah, I watched away at City. Watched um, a few. I remember a League Cup the f- game against Darlington. I watched, but most of the time I was actually living in Paris, which is like just was just agonising that the one season the one season we were in the premier league and playing really good football i had to watch it from like 500 miles away but but uh yeah when i did go back again the atmosphere was just rocking you just everyone's everything felt so feel good um steve koppel was just uh, just unreal like such a such a a brilliant man Mm. um the the players played for him like you've would never see anyone else we played such good football we played from the back we used to have this really weird offside trap don't know if you remember but any but whenever an opposing team took a free kick our players would line up with the with their striker but just before the free kick was taken all of our t- all of our back line would sprint towards the halfway line. I don't remember that at all. Everyone offside really? off a free kick. It was it was so ballsy. Yeah. Did it when work it, most of the time? When it didn't work, it was a disaster. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, it. I remember Marcus Hanneman, our keeper, had to had to pull off a few stops when it did go wrong. But yeah, just just being in the ground, I don't think you'll ever feel like anything. I, I went to a f- quite a few games the year before we were in the championship one hundred and six. Um, and it was the same atmosphere, basically the same atmosphere. Although mm. I'd say fewer Southampton fans in the, <laughs> in the home. In, in Actual the Reading stands. fans, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, just you'll never feel like that, anything like that again. In I, I guess in my lifetime, because yeah. it was so for us, we were overachieving so much. We're playing such good football, playing out from the back, brilliant central midfielders in Sidwell and James Harper. Mm. You know. Kitson was injured for quite a bit of it. Do- Kevin Doyle was just standout, one of the best players that season for us. But also players, players like Ibrahim Sonko. He got a really bad injury midway through the season, but for the first bit, he was just like an absolute colossus. Ingemar and Brynja Gunnarsson as well. Just players coming off the bench. Shane Long was very raw still. So I wouldn't say he was one of, you know, mm. of players everyone will recognise. He he wasn't really it for us. Um but yeah, like such fond memories. And you feel like a player like Steve Sidwell, when he goes to Chelsea to sit on their bench, such a waste, isn't mm. it? Just such an incredible waste because we loved him. He was such a good player for us. Um, they did that with Scott Parker so as well, didn't Scott they? Parker. they yeah, exactly. from Charlton and he just sort of sat on their bench. Exactly, yeah. And it's just such a waste where yeah. these bigger clubs like hoover up your talent. And that's the thing with a club that's playing well in the... I, I guess Brentford fans feel it right now as well. You can't be too effusive with your praise of a player because you're scared that yeah. a bigger club will take him like Ivan Tony yeah, might yeah. go to Arsenal for example yeah. like you're like 
oh, this player's good. Oh, let's actually keep that quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's a curse as well. So you, so that's the only thing. You're tinged with this fear that it will come crashing down. And it did the next season. Yeah. What, what do you put that down to? I said 8th in 2006-2007 and then 18th in 07-08. I mean, the 2007-2008 season was my first at the Guardian. Yeah. And, I, and I remember it well. I didn't, As I said, that was a year where I was going to Reading, not a fair amount, but I went sort of probably half a dozen times. Um, I'm sure I remember seeing them being pretty good, but then, but obviously they they fell out of the league, and that's ten, a ten place drop. Is it just the, Defense, the usual cliche sc- thing about being sort of found out? In no, no, I don't think they were found out. Um, had a few players that had reached their, their peak and okay. gone past their peak. Um, player recruitment wasn't very good. Uh, we got a p- couple of players that just weren't good enough, and yeah, defensively we were threadbare. Mm. That injury to Sonko the previous season, for example, like losing a talisman like that is is going to cost you points. We were 12th for ages in the Premier League that season. Our later form was terrible. We were 12th for absolutely ages. Yeah, just didn't have enough money and we wouldn't spend any money. I remember our, our director of football at the time on the radio would always say, like, we need to cut our cloth according to a... What is it? Cut our cloth. Cut our cloth accordingly, yeah. Yeah. That's the phrase, isn't it? That yeah. is the phrase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really forgot what, what that phrase pretty much was. said it right, I as mean, you were also cloth. confused yeah. by it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, he said that a lot. And yeah. you know, when when someone's saying that a lot, it means you've got no money. Yeah. And yeah. like, Absolutely. you know, so so we were, we were, we were kind of, we'd had our moment in the sun. We didn't reinvest and we paid the price. You need to spend more money than we did to stay in the league. It took them 135 years to get there, but Reading's first venture into the top flight of English football has come to an end. It couldn't have hurt much more. I think that was the worst way for it to happen, the one we all dreaded. Well, they played very well, but a bit sad, really. Really upset. Well, they played well, but, you know, you're relegated. Players were, you know, in tears, and, and it just showed, I think, the performance and what they've given to this club over recent years. It showed what it means to them. The Reading team that walked out at Derby did not let anyone down. They looked sharp from the off and within 15 minutes they were ahead. James Harper with a beautiful finish. With Fulham still drawing at Portsmouth, the Royals would be safe. After the break, the visitors settled their nerves with a second. Lita reacted quickly to Shorey's long-range effort and teed up Dave Kitson for a simple tap-in. And things got even better a few minutes later when substitute Kevin Doyle's perseverance paid off. This his first goal since December. It was all going so well for Reading, but with just 14 minutes left on the clock, this happened at Fratton Park. One goal was all Fulham needed to relegate the Royals. Leroy Lita scored Reading's fourth in injury time, but they'd have needed another three to stay up. Reading played with real pride today at Derby, but that result at Fratton Park means they'll be back here again next season in the Championship. As I said, you got so we got relegated at the end of the 2007-2008 season. Yeah, came back as champions in 2012, as you said under Brian McDermott. Yeah. Got relegated immediately that season. Yeah, that was a poor season for us. Yeah. I tell you, what, I have a standout memory from that season. So that's the 2012-2013 season. Yeah. So I covered um, Reading's game against Liverpool at the Majeski in uh-huh. April 2013. And I saw there what remains. I've seen a lot of live football in my time, and it remains the best goalkeeping display I've ever seen oh, in the by, flesh. By McCarthy, Alex McCarthy, your goalkeeper. So I think he plays for Southampton. Now, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. he made ten saves, yeah, yeah. which maybe doesn't sound a lot, 
but it is. And we, we, obviously, because you know Liverpool were playing. I was, was, I was, I was covering it as a journalist. But we battered you. That we had Suarez, yeah, yeah. Sturridge, uh, Coutinho up front. Steven Gerrard was playing. Absolutely battered. You should have won them six nil. And McCarthy, as I said, made ten saves. He was absolutely incredible. Yeah. I think Brendan Rodgers was your manager. He was a manager, and he, he, he just managed said, like this was. This was the best keeping display. Yeah, I've ever seen. and he knew because he was your one of your former managers. And yeah, I think he McCarthy managed was, us. He was He wasn't. Brendan Rodgers didn't have much success with us. No, no. I don't think he stayed there particularly long, did he? No, he didn't stay there very long. I can't. He, under a year. Uh, I think he'd just come from Swansea, or he's about to go to Swansea. Yeah, I think it was between Watford and Swansea. I think right, right, that he managed right. Reading. Yeah, because yeah, he, he go... managed against us in the yeah, playoff yeah. final. He, yeah, he had this, everyone joked he had this big bumper book of tactics. And, <laughs> Brendan's big bumper book yeah, of tactics. basically. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, his sound bites didn't get us very far. I'm not sure he tried the envelope trick with our players. Ah, the infamous envelope trick, uh, yeah. No, so, but do you remember yeah. the Alex McCarthy performance? I don't know if you saw it. Or, yeah, is it something that's sort of gone down in folklore? Uh, yeah, Reading for folklore? sure. Yeah, weirdly, um, Alex McCarthy is a goalkeeper who we have fond memories of many goalkeepers. For example, Shaka Hislop. Marcus Hanneman, even like Adam Federici. But for some reason, even though Alex McCarthy, I'd say, is a more talented goalkeeper than all of those, or maybe not Shaka Hislop, um, he doesn't get remembered as well, weirdly. Um, but maybe he didn't stay with us long enough. But he was, and maybe we just weren't that good when he was with us. Mm. You have to have a bit of a tinge of glory with the rest of the team to have a goalkeeper <laughs> yeah. who's fondly remembered. Exactly, yeah. But that day was just like this is ridiculous yeah. this guy is insane why is he playing for us there was some incredible was some, some were just instinctive but others were just genuinely yeah. world class I'm was not sure amazing. he had that many performances like that but no. he was such a good goalkeeper Yeah, such a good goalkeeper we've actually had some really good keepers in, in our time mm. it's probably one of our more, more productive positions um, but yeah that 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 display from him it to be fair it will go down in history for the club Um but uh, yeah, it, there's other keepers who are remembered more fondly, I guess. Yeah, no, it was. As a, I was even though I was frustrated as a Liverpool fan. I, I know Zara's a neutral, but I was still a Liverpool fan. Frustrated to see us drop points there. I was also just kind of felt quite privileged to see such an incredible spell. Yeah. It has lived with me ever since. Um, so yeah, so Reading were relegated at the end of the 2012-2013 season back to the Championship. Only had one season then in the Premier League on their return back yeah. to the division. And you've been in the Championship ever since. And we've talked about what's going on at the moment. 21st um, under Paul Ince, <laughs> transfer embargo. It's not going particularly well. Um, and as I said, you sort of dropped a bit of a bit of a bombshell before we start recording. But also something that sounds really interesting that I'd love to speak to you about now. Uh, you kind of... Well, essentially you said you don't support Reading anymore. Well, no, I do support Reading, but I'm in this dilemma, which I, I think the next five or so years are critical for me as a fan. So I don't live in Reading anymore. I don't have any family or friends that live in Reading anymore. As mm. I said to you, it's such a transitional town. Yeah, yeah. There's And I have children. I live 150 miles away from Reading. I don't have any time to go and watch them. When my kids will be old enough to go to football, which they're not at the moment, I will not be. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish a supporting of Reading on anyone who's not from Reading. So I will not be taking them to to go and watch <laughs> Championship or League One football at the uh, Select Car Leasing Stadium. Any uh, just for their own good. Have you just said the sponsor's name? Then? Yeah, I did. Oh, what's, I what is it? it? What is it? Select Car Leasing. God, Stadium. that is awful. The, the thing is, I had to, I have to Google that because it sounds mad. Because I just call it the Modeski Stadium. I never call it by its name. Yeah. I only say it for its, for, for its. And name. in a way, even the Modeski Stadium is quite an awful name. It's very egotistical. Isn't it? It's and so to, egotistical. To name isn't a stadium it? after yourself. I mean, I, I um, 
I'll go back to my dilemma in a yeah, second. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I uh, don't know if I had a massive ego and two billion dollars apart from building a theme park. <laughs> yeah, I, that side, yeah. I, if I built a stadium for a football club who I knew would outlive me, <laughs> why the fuck would I name it after me? Yeah. I don't even name my like children after me. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's mental. But also, if you're going to do it, go, go, go all in. I mean, call it, the, you know, if it was you, call it the Richardson Megadome or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Go, just go massive. Uh, he's know. got a school as well because of the Medeski Academy. God. Um, it's hard to, to it's hard to criticize him because he obviously built the stadium loved the club and very sadly reluctantly gave up his stewardship yeah. uh, because like he's not a billionaire do you know what i mean so you know it's hard to to criticize him mm. but yeah calling it after yourself i think is is a, a slightly gray area even if you're well loved yeah but it is a better name like, than went the out with black as well which yeah. is a bad note for me i don't um, want to bring that up that was, yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so afraid. anyway i wouldn't send my kids to to go and watch football at reading sadly you, you know just for the distance and just because we're shit and it's like you know can't really drive a hundred odd miles to go and watch your club can you every saturday so um they're gonna have to i, I want them to go to football so uh we're gonna have to choose a club nearby professional semi you know league one championship got one in mind and and that's the thing i'll be going probably getting a season ticket at a club that i've never supported just for their sakes so i'll be like i'm here sat watching football every week not my own club i'm sure other people have experienced this before what the hell am i doing do you know what i mean Mm. so so that'll be a really interesting test of my fanship like what's the point of going every every home game to a new club and not taking interest in what's happening yeah. on the pitch? You're going to have to just go with it. Um, it's not a team, Reading's not a town like, um, say, Liverpool, where there's a reason to go. Mm. But, you know, you're not from <clears throat> Liverpool, but you still go because of the culture, because of the team, because of the history. There's none of that with Reading. As much as, obviously, I love the club and I've talked for a long time about my love of the club and and all the memories I've got of supporting them, it feels like the only thing that ties me to the town of Reading is the football club. And the football club don't even play in Reading. They're on the M4 <laughs> corridor, aren't they? They're like in Whitley. Yeah. You know, so I can well imagine if I ever go back to Reading, and I've been, I haven't actually been since the pandemic, but I went, the last game I went was just before the pandemic and I think it was like, 23rd, played Derby at home, 3-0. I haven't been since because I've got small children, don't have time. Will I ever go actually back to the town? Nothing's taking me there. Such a weird position to be in where you've, you're completely dissociated from mm. your club. Um, and you get loads of fans in Australia, as I said before, exiles who support their club, don't ever go and watch them play, come over to England, watch them for a day. That's great, that's fine. But... I've got this position where I want my kids to go and watch football. So I'm going to have to invest physically, like monetarily and emotionally in a completely different yeah. club, a rival club. I mean, one thought I had... And not Swindon, though. Can I just Swindon. say I'm not going to be a Swindon or yeah. an Oxford fan? No, don't... don't, or, don't. or Brentford. No, no Brent, I don't mind Brentford. I was going to say QPR, not QPR. Yeah. Well, I mean, just one thought I had listening to you speak. I mean, there's kind of a sadness there as well. I mean, we've joked a lot, you know, during this podcast, but there is, for me, there is a sort of element of sadness there that you're... 
you know, you grew up a, a Reading fan. You've had loads of memories of supporting them. But there is obviously this d- disconnect based on geography of where you live now, but also because Reading is just one of those places that it feels hard to stay attached to. And I think that is actually quite sad given your life and, and your love of the club. Mm. And I just wonder, it might be a bit cruel to do this on your kids, but all, almost you do take them to Reading yeah. because, okay, okay, the drive is long. The town's not got much going for it, but it is a way for you, just you personally to reconnect with the club and it's something your kids might ultimately appreciate. Like, that's the thing we did with dad. And yeah, the team was crap, but it was, there was, I loved getting in the car on a Saturday and going. And I loved falling in love with something that he also loved when he was our age. And it might just bond you. And I said, if for me, that would still be better than going to see some team that's, you know, 20 minutes down the road that yeah. you have absolutely zero connection with. It's very true. And this is what I've been wrestling with. Um, I want my, ki- I do, I wouldn't want to take away from my kids the ability to support their local club, though. Yeah, that's a fair and point. And they are their own people. Mm. And, you know, I you know, I had this dalliance with Spurs because I didn't even know Reading existed. Fair enough. But <laughs> when I was seven or whatever. But the local aspect of supporting your local club, feeling proud because your primary school friends supported Man United, but you didn't because you supported Reading. And being like, right, we're the underdogs. This is great. This is, you know, I feel like a, more of a part of a community albeit latterly now online because it's you know mm. main connection with the club is through twitter or uh the message boards as royals.org which is hobnob anyone yeah i wouldn't want to take that away from them i would i would want them to forge their own path support their local team god forbid they support a team you know man united or whatever just be not because not i don't want to criticize that it's just i like that local aspect that i had and i'd like them to have it too so yeah, it's a real hard one. I mean, the the other alternative is going to watch Reading away games around where I live, mm. which is I could probably do that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, time is so finite when you get older, isn't it? Yeah. You can't just you just don't have the luxury of going going to go and watch your home team yeah. as much as you used to. And yeah, I just I just love the idea of them sort of. For yeah, as I said, forging their own path really. Yeah, that's fair enough. I always find these conversations obviously very awkward, given I'm a North London boy who lives <laughs> no, in no, South that, London. No, no, I've never meant to diss. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. It's but like, fine. as I said, with Liverpool, it's like I can I can see why people support Liverpool. Yeah, it's, you know, it must be great. And even your lows are not that low, and you go there and you feel part of, you know, singing "You'll Never Walk Alone" and all of that, holding up a big banner. All of you know all of that folklore, and I can see why people support Liverpool. And 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 when you're a kid, you're probably you were probably immersed in Liverpool from you know magazines, footage, yeah. all of that. You don't have yeah, that with a small absolutely. Club. Yeah, it's so yeah. I mean, I support you know I won't go into this now, but I support Liverpool because my dad does. Yeah, he's sort of a glory hunter because of he grew up in Kenya and they were sort of one of the clubs he knew in a very odd, indirect way. And then he moved to this country in the 70s. And I was born in 1981, got into football in 1989, said to kids in my class, who should I support? This is in North. This is a school in North London. They said, you support who your dad supports. I asked yeah. him, he said, I said to my dad, who, who do you support? He said, Liverpool. 
So I became a Liverpool supporter. This was in Kingsbury, North London. No idea of where Liverpool was. And I said to him a few years later, having properly fallen in love with the club, right, can you take me to a game now, please? And he sort of laughed in my face and said, I'm not taking you to Liverpool. It's like 250 miles up the motorway. But no, I totally get it. If you do sport club at Liverpool, it's very easy to make those treks. As I do regularly, it's four hours on the motorway. It's five hours back, but it's easy to do because even when we're not very good, it's still great. And I do absolutely get that sporting club like Reading... It's, it's it's difficult. It's, it'd be a bit of a grind. Speaking of Kenya, I went on my honeymoon to, uh, to on safari in Kenya, and the the driver in 2016, the driver, um, I can't remember his name. But it was a lovely guy, and uh, we talked about football. And I said, "Who do you support?" And he said, "I'm a Leicester City fan." Oh, fantastic! And I was like, "I bet, I, I bet there's a load of Kenyans and Tanzanians yeah. right now who are Leicester City fans stuck with this club." <laughs> that reminds me, kids are going to be, you know, maybe immigrating to here or, you know, yeah, and yeah. becoming Leicester City fans in like 30 years' yeah. time. That reminds me that after Blackburn won the Premier League in 1995, so it was on a Sunday, it's the yeah. last day of the season, often is, and they won it on the last day of the season at Anfield against Liverpool. On the Monday, I was hanging around my mates at school in North London, and I was like, let's go. We had a massive sort of field. Our playground was enormous, and uh, there was loads, there's a big field, and there was always games going on. We used to play, I think we, we played regularly at sort of lunchtime, but we didn't have a ball that day, so we were yeah. just knocking about. And sort of games going on and kids hanging around. And I said, let's go around the school, let's go around the playground and the fields and see if we can find any Blackburn Rovers fans. <laughs> and I think we found two. And I did find it very amusing. But also, who am I to comment, as I said, being a Liverpool fan from yeah. North London. But yeah, I do wonder about those guys who supported Blackburn, who took up Blackburn in 1995, if they've stuck with it. Exactly. Yeah, I've got yet. a friend who's a Blackburn fan. From, from Is that purely because they won the league yeah, in 95? Yeah, yeah Brilliant. must be. Must be. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Anthony, you've been absolutely brilliant. We've been speaking for a while. It's been an absolute joy. And I'm going to let you go and get out of this uh, nondescript office i'm gonna keep calling it that because i don't want anyone to know exactly where we are uh, at guardian towers before i do let's do the last couple of things i do on this podcast so the first thing and i have have mentioned this already is your all-time reading 11 oh yeah let's do it so for anyone who hasn't listened to this podcast before i asked my guests to pick an all-time team based on the best 11 players they've seen play for their club during their time sporting their club anthony has kindly picked an all-time reading 11 based on his time sporting the club so i'll go through it then we'll have a chat about it. So it's in a 4-3-3 formation in yeah, goal. Which we don't really play or yeah. haven't really played. Certainly yeah. didn't when... Uh, but anyway, I've accommodated a couple of players into this formation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great formation. It's it's, what's, it's sort of the most sort of CN Vogue formation. At the yeah, moment. Sure. All, the, all the top teams are playing it. So yeah, 4-3-3 in goal. Shaka Hislop. Back four. Graham Murty. Ivor Ingemarsson. Ibrahim Asonko and Nicky Shorey. Yeah. The midfield is John Swift. Phil Parkinson. Phil Parkinson. And Steve Sidwell. And the uh, front three is Glenn Little, Kevin Doyle and Jimmy Kebe. Uh, one observation for me, I did touch on this earlier. Mm. There are seven members of the 05-06 squad. Crazy, in there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which I, let me just get their names, give them, give them their full full due. So the seven from that team that got promoted with 106 points um, in 2006 are... Uh, yeah, so Murty, Ingemarsson, Sonko, Shorey, Sidwell, Little and Kevin Doyle. So obviously that team... Probably the best team you've ever, Reading team you've ever seen, and also one obviously that clearly means a lot to you. Absolutely, and um, Shaka Hislop, I, I never actually saw play. Yeah, but he was he he's been ingrained on me. Um, uh, I know. Sorry, I knew you were talking about the Championship team. I was just no, no, it's fine. Yeah, um, but yeah, I never saw him play. So if if it ha- you had to be strict on it, I would probably swap him for Marcus Hanneman, who also was in the Premier League mm. team slash Championship team. I mean that that. Yeah, if if you asked uh, if you asked any Reading fan of the last forty years who they'd choose, they probably put in Michael Jelks. They probably put in might put in Jimmy Quinn, 
Um, if they were long ago enough, they might put in Steve Death and Goal and um, Robin Friday. But apart from that, uh, and and you know, you've still got that that mid noughties team would form the spine of many people's many people's teams. Glenn Little, I still think, is one of the most beautiful wingers. Such an amazing dribbler. Uh, Jimmy Kebe's in there just because he just used to take the piss out of people with his dribbling. He like pulled his pulled his socks up mid when he had the ball against West Ham, got started on by the players. Just like such a character. Phil Parkinson was just a bit before the championship winning team, but he kind of embodied the spirit of the club mm-hmm. in the in the late nineties, early two thousands. <clears throat> Uh, obviously, he's a manager now in his own right. Yeah, I was going to say um, that name rang a bell. Is he yeah, the, the Phil Parkinson? He's the got, Phil Parkinson. Manager. Yeah, yeah. He 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 just he just embodied <clears throat> what how football should be played, and like you know, the passion of Phil Parkinson was just something else. And you know, he he wouldn't get into that side on skills. You know, you might put in James Harper instead of him, or you know, John Swift. John Swift, who currently plays for us, is is one of the best players we've ever had in terms of skill level. However, you know, Phil Parkinson, just he was the engine room of any team, kind of thing. Um, Kevin Doyle loved him. I mean, could have put in Dave Kitson again. Could have put in Jimmy Quinn. Uh, we've had actually some good strikers, to be fair. Um, but Kevin Doyle, I just thought he was he wasn't blessed with extreme pace. But he was just—he was just—he always found himself in the right place. Uh, he was one of those players that he probably played better for other teams than us. Like you always have that with Reading. Mm. Like Shaka Hislop, great for West Ham. For us, like didn't really play. For, you know, he played for us. Was he Newcastle's keeper when they blew that twelve-point lead, Shaka Hislop? Or was that Pavel Cernicek? Uh, I don't know if that was Cernicek or him. But I think he, he was just he, before he that team, wasn't he? Joined, yeah, he joined. He, he left us in 1995 after yeah. the playoff final. The keeper after that, Bobby Malilov. He jo- he's from Bulgaria. In fact, he's the he was the head of the Bulgarian FA. Do you remember he like resigned because of the racist abuse? Oh, is like, that he him? was so he was yeah, so yeah, uh, ashamed it. of it that he res- uh, he resigned. Yeah, yeah, that was when England played play. against yeah. Bulgaria a few years ago. Yeah. Um. Anyway, he, he he the legend has it that he joined Reading because he watched the playoff final at Wembley and he thought Wembley was our home ground. Oh, that's <laughs> Can you imagine going to Elm Park? After that? But anyway, yeah, he was yeah. But no, a lot of players we have weren't their best when they were with us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we're one of those clubs. But any other fan looking at that team, they'd be like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> well, no, I, do, I mean, I do, I do recognise a lot of names. His Shaq is up, I know better from his time at, uh, at Newcastle. We should say, played for Reading between 1992 and, as you say, 1995. Yeah. Then went to Newcastle. He's probably better known for that. For, uh, for that period in his, in his career but yeah the back four they all as soon as you sent the team over I was like yeah those are all those four guys who I yeah. saw playing in 07, 08 when I when, you know that season uh, Reading's penultimate season in the Premier League under Steve Coppel in that two year period and that was a, was a big season for me because it was my first season uh, covering football for the Guardian and I saw Reading a fair bit um, but Steve Sidwell sticks out Glenn Little's a name I remember and uh, Kebe yeah. and, and Doyle as well so okay they're not they're not household names they're not phenomenal footballers but I think there's a lot of recognisable names yeah, there absolutely. and I, I do I do like the fact that so many have come from that that one team because I, I think it's really you know certain clubs have a sort of a special team so, and sometimes you're quite lucky to have that there's a lot of clubs that don't have special teams that yeah. sort of just muddle along but there's every so often in a club's history you have that one team that means so much to you that was so great I mean I could so have even ch- chosen the whole 11 exactly and I, think I mean there are it's kind of a tribute this, your team is a tribute to that team and I absolutely, like that absolutely yeah. yeah I mean like on the subs bench like Marcus Hanneman Stephen Hunt yeah. Stephen Hunt, of course, 
Petr Cech incident yeah. like, that season yeah, in a way. Of course, yeah. Um, but he he's such a gifted footballer, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. He played for Ireland as well, didn't he? Stephen? He played for Ireland yeah, quite a lot of he's times. A good player, I remember. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, as I said, the championship winning team of 2012, not really featuring at all in that. No, Alex McCarthy should be in there for that, <laughs> for that one performance. Um, brilliant, Anthony. Right, let me ask you the final question uh, and then we'll get out of this nondescript office. Um, so yeah, it's the usual final question I ask on this podcast. If you go back in time and change any moment from your time supporting Reading up to now, and it could be absolutely anything, it could be uh, a goal, a transfer, a match, a very personal experience, absolutely anything, what would you choose? I would, maybe controversially, I would stay at Elm Park, scrap the, the move to a bigger club, a bigger stadium no. because that has only brought us misery. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you played the Premier League in that stadium. First. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. No, but uh, yeah, half in jest. But um, uh, I mean, obviously, if you had a magic wand, you'd redevelop Elm Park and mm. make it, you know, the heart and soul of the town. Um, and and I think we gained a season, a couple of seasons of Premier League football, three seasons, but we lost uh, the, the identity of the town. I'd say so. Quite a quite a poignant one hopefully would be yeah scrapping that move and staying at Elm Park yeah fair enough thanks mate great answer Anthony Richardson it's been an absolute joy thank you very much thank you indeed we started when all the art defied us and dreams we reached new hearts We were marching proudly from El Park into the stadium We forced our rivals to make way Now we're here and we're strong We're gonna bring it on Can you hear
Like our blood is blue, our wings are white 